Welcome to the Don't Die podcast, sponsored by Aloe Treatment Centers. They're out in Malibu. They're in Silver Lake. It's a treatment center I started with some friends. We want you to get the right treatment, the right program for you, and stop dying. Stop dying, Chuck. <laughs> and they did. And they did. And they did. Wait, you're supposed to say, don't die, Chuck. <laughs> don't die, Chuck. <laughs> well, you're supposed to say, stop dying. Let's start again. Stop dying. No, but they did stop dying. Who did? No, leave it. The kids, there's nobody dying anymore. Oh, gosh. That's... <laughs> God, you guys are slow on the pickup. Hallelujah. Does traffic just numb your brain? Yes, I just got out of the car. And yes, I am feeling very slow. Mike drove from Thousand Oaks, an hour and 51 minutes. Oh. I'm like, oh, Los Angeles, you're killing well, us. Well, actually, it was uh, when I texted you, it was an hour and 51 minutes. It was two hours and 10 minutes altogether. <laughs> two hours and 10 minutes. How did you, dude, how did you drive down to Malibu to do your talks down to Malibu? That must be 85 miles. Yeah, it's 76 miles door to door. Oh and God. I used to drive it um, in traffic. Three, three days a week. No, but when I, when I worked five days a week in Malibu, I lived in Encino. It was a lot easier. Ah, Encino, and everybody thinks, "Oh, he's rich." No, Encino, <laughs> north of the 101 freeway, and the ghetto. There's a line. There's a ghetto of Encino. Trust me. <laughs> it's like living in a city has a, a counterpart a where counter. the workers live. Yeah, it's like living in Eagle Rock. Yeah, like down below Colorado down below. Boulevard. Down it's below. not that good. Yeah, I, even in Catalina, you got like Avalon and all that, and then you just go like behind the Wrigley Mansion, and that's where the people that clean the hotels live. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. Really? Yeah, I found. I met a guy over there whose family owns a hotel, and I used to drink Jack Daniels with him. And he brought me on a golf cart tour and showed me all the stuff you don't normally get to see. The baseball field and stuff. Uh, and Catalina, huh? You must be rich. Do you live in a rich <laughs> area or something, Junk? That uh, guy was great. His girlfriend hated me. He was like, she was like, you guys, you get to go home on Monday, and I'm going to be stuck cleaning up this mess. But it was oh, cool. The only thing we didn't get to do was hunt pig. Hunt boars, right? They yeah, boars, he was like, uh, "Man, we're going pig hunting," but we got too drunk. Oh, there we go. So, so the thing that that Mike and I were talking about before he got here is people always ask me like, "How do you make sure your kid doesn't turn into a drug addict?" <laughs> right? And I, I um, you know, there's all these standard bullshit things of federal government out guidelines and outlines and prevention and all yeah, that and SAMHSA dare, folks. dare and SAMHSA. I think it's all bullshit myself. I think that each individual family has a an ability to to communicate clearly, right? And I think a lot of the guidelines and the goody two shoe bullshit is is just disingenuous. You can't tell a parent who who's their kid's best friend, okay, now all of a sudden I'm going to take an authority position and I'm going to speak to my child openly right. and honestly about, you know, it's all bullshit, <laughs> right? One thing I say is if you've got that relationship that I had with my older son and, and that I see parents having, which is more of a friendship than a parent-child relationship, um, you know, one of the things is tell them your fears, like, I'm scared shitless you're going to end up in fucking dying or in rehab. Did you do that with your kids, Chuck? You met my real dad, Bob, but um, I didn't meet my real dad until I was eight, my 18th birthday because <laughs> I was too young when he left. And he went away. He was in the Virgin Islands and everything. And then when I met him, he showed up on my birthday and he gave me a big wad of money and a pound of weed and a bunch of mescaline. <laughs> wow. 
That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was I don't I wasn't sure how to react and I can't think of any react. You know, I just I want to smile. I yeah. want to smile. <laughs> I was thinking That is every 18-year-old boy's dream. He he made you a rock and roll star overnight. And then he left. <laughs> that, you were yeah. you were bound for greatness at that moment. <laughs> but but think about you you quote him in relation to drugs and life more than anybody else All in your life. All the time, man. Like I was saying, think he, about that's that. true. For a guy that didn't raise him, he comes up a lot. <laughs> I know. Yeah. My brother went to visit him in the Virgin Islands. My brother was only uh, 17 years old, and he sent his girlfriend in to de-virginize my brother. Oh, my God. <laughs> a man after my own heart. He's an outlaw. His dad, Mike's dad was an outlaw. Now, we're not talking about that friendly with your children. <laughs> well, you know, yeah, of course you're going to end up a dope addict. <laughs> right. But, but I think that, that what parents are afraid to do with all that SAMHSA guidelines bullshit and therapeutic psychobabble is to share their fears with their children. Like, if you're going right. to fucking be buddy-buddy with them, it can't be just all this, you know, this poofed or superficial stuff. You got to get down in <laughs> your gut. <laughs> but you know, you got to get down in your gut. I'm scared you're going to fucking get on drugs and die. Right, or or end up one of the homeless, or end up, you know, I mean, there's there's so many wrong ways it can go, and you're and you're petrified as a parent, and that's the emails I get. Right. Like, how do I relieve myself of this fear? And the fact is, you can't. That might happen. That does happen. It is a genetically family based disease. Yes, it it, it it's can. It's a fifty fifty shot. How right. you ended up a hundred percent, Chuck? I don't know. <laughs> Oh, well, well, you got the bug. Bug could lower the numbers. I hope so. <laughs> but you, you know that this is this is funny because I saw a thing uh, the other day on the interweb where it was about it was a thing that said you know marijuana isn't the gateway drug, alcohol isn't the great way, gateway drug, but it goes on and on. It says Video trauma, game? trauma is the gateway drug. Oh Jesus! And everybody's it was, got but, trauma. I know, but the idea that I I also read another thing recently where it said that children who were able to articulate their feelings well. Right. Have less depression. And the depression that most that everybody's walking around with is a common cause of why they need to feel better. But everybody's this is my I spoke at Cry Help last night, ladies and gentlemen. Yay. Thank you very much for being of service, Bobby. Public service. I spoke at my alma mater. It's like giving a valedictorian speech. <laughs> wait, one, wait, Bob, one of 26 of your alma mater. <laughs> yeah, but it's my favorite one. My most, <laughs> okay, let's you know, make it clear. Yeah, you know? <laughs> if, if, if you had two dads, Mike, we know which one's your favorite. Cry Help is my favorite rehab. <laughs> one that gave me the pound of weed and the mescaline. <laughs> yeah, so, so, and what I said, and, and, it's, and it even permeates there, is this, Overemphasis of trauma and childhood abuse, neglect, all this kind of stuff. People don't end up drug addicts who have those childhood experiences either. There's right. a real weird kind of blind spot that nobody talks about. Nobody had it worse than my older sister in my family. My mom didn't like her. She was picked on. She was not, she was not what my parents wanted, right? And, and there was all the alcoholism and abuse and hatred and violence, right? Okay. I was the golden child. I was the one everybody liked, right? She was the one nobody liked. She's a normal person. Right. She had a worse, more, more traumatic childhood by my 
recollection by my by what my sisters and she has shared with me, she had a way worse childhood than I did. How is she a normal person? <clears throat> this fucking direct connecting of the connecting of the dots of trauma and heroin addiction is bullshit. Well, there's a lot of other factors there. If if we could do a direct connecting of the dots, we'd sell a we'd sell a book that says send us twenty five dollars and we'll give you the answer. <laughs> Yeah, I would. I, I would make a ten would it only billion. Be twenty five dollars. Yeah, because we'd I sell would charge twenty hundred. Okay, but then we could open like an island as a treatment center, and we could live there, <laughs> and we'd just be happy island people. But the you know the uh, have you heard, talked Back to with Catalina? Have you talked with Amy Amy Dresner about her thing about the how most eighty percent of people that are addicts that have been tested have shown to not have as much dopamine as as other folks and that it's it's this desire it's this chemical it's a fix that it not only not only does it like a normal person like gets high but it takes someone who's i don't know inherently that, that, i don't trust any of those studies because when was their dopamine checked when they were 13 Right. What I, you do to your body with, with your brain with meth and weed starting at 13, then you get tested at 35. Of course, you're going to have dopamine deficiencies. Right. Well, right? I, I think I think we totally screw up that stuff, our internal thermostats or whatever. We mess up all our chemical balances once we start messing with them like I that. I think there's a lot of contributing factors. One is the American kind of lifestyle. It's envious and greedy and slothful and disgusting. Everything that's <laughs> described as alcoholic is America. <laughs> like, people need to travel more. Like, people yeah. aren't like this everywhere. People are actually kind and loving and family-oriented and, and eat healthy and, like, go to anywhere in the East. It's not like here. These gluttonous fucking, you know what I mean? So part of it is it's just built into the American culture that that we are we're we're so special or it so is an American one. problem, isn't it? it? Is it, a, it it's it, intrinsically American this problem. So to say it's genetically based or it's trauma based or I think how a family deals with trauma in America is unique, which is lie about it, cover it up, don't talk about it, whatever. The, mm -hmm. In other cultures, if I don't, you know, I know this sounds brutal, but in Brazil, if somebody's known as a child molester, they don't live long. <laughs> they don't. It kind of just regulates itself. <laughs> it's a rough place to be, Brazil. <laughs> for a child molester. <laughs> oh, for a lot of people. I mean, there's like a little bit of good living and a lot of rough living. I know a couple people from there, and it's just like there's, there's it's got extreme classes like like we do here. But but you understand, it's we got don't, two classes. We, it's got rich and poor. But, there is no middle class. But I mean, what I'm talking about is culturally. Culturally, you they handle those that, situations. They take care of their fucking own. They they, they take care of business. They take in their yeah, neighborhoods, the in their families. Right. Yeah, <laughs> and the kid feels loved and cherished because that creep is gone, and they don't get a drug habit. Yeah, but but in these systems, like oh, Uncle so and so wouldn't do that. That it's always doubted. You know what I mean? The victim is always doubted in America, mm -hmm. or it's covered up. And don't think that children don't fucking know that, that you can trust no one. They do. They do know when they, when they tell, they get in trouble. 
I'm testament to it. I told, and I got in trouble. The person who was doing it didn't get in trouble. Mm -hmm. They were just, I was told I couldn't go over to their house anymore. What kind of solution is that? Well, obviously, you're the problem. (laughs) So, (laughs) because had you not been there, it wouldn't have happened. It's true. Obviously, that's actually true. (laughs) So, (laughs) So they just try to solve the root cause of it is going over there. Right. So, don't go over there. Yeah, no. I mean, what would you do? That's not how you would handle it. So we've we've come a distance. If you, I think I'm more Brazilian. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I think you'd be calling the most fucked out people you know and going, guess what? Somebody touched Elvis. <laughs> We're gonna go deal. This with This is it. where they are, right? So, um, so it, it's just the craziest environment. The American, how we got this way. This is not what it was like when I was a kid. This is not. This is chaos. Right? The hatred and division and just a gluttony. I'm using the word gluttony. Everybody, I hope you know what I'm talking about. People are changing the physical species of the, of the human beings with gluttony. <laughs> You've seen Wally. That's Cracker You've seen Barrel. the future. It's Cracker Barrel's fault. Oh, I ate a Cracker Barrel one time. Oh, do you, do you, have you ever eaten at the Cracker Barrel? Yeah, you can smoke inside the restaurant. Oh, there's a Cracker Barrel in Banning, right? And for some reason, it looks like this, it's really nice looking, like this country barn looking place. And mm-hmm. one time I stopped there and I... And it just looked so good. I saw it w- going past like this yeah, big go bowl of shop. chili inside bread. That's and I good. ordered it. I had diarrhea for three days. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think my, 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 uh, my biology could handle the Cracker Barrel full chili in the bread bowl with uh. cheese. and. Oh. Well, you know, but I mean, just a simple fact that people... Do you think they have check it? Uh, uh, what is the name of the place? Uh, uh, do you think they have these places in like Vietnam or in no? Like, of course no, not. Of course they don't because it's poison. Because, <laughs> look at your body. It's it's comfort well, food. Yeah, they eat bugs there too, though. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> yeah, they eat bugs. Haven't you ever watched this travel show? <laughs> Oh, oh Mike! My oh Mike kidding. Mark! Oh my God! I, I know, but you know what? <laughs> that is, that is the typical American <laughs> interpretation of Vietnam. You know they what? eat bugs there, and dogs. I hear they eat dogs there too. Dog Fucking eat. Vietnamese! Dog eating them? motherfuckers! Haven't you ever seen them travel shows? Man? Oh my God! I, I, you know. hey, Scorpions. Here, side note, because we know that Chuck loves the history of punk rock and roll, <laughs> oh, and yeah, I'm calling it now. I'm calling it punk rock and roll. Good, because there's a. It, it, that's weird. Punk rock and roll is a cool name, it, isn't it? it I fits. invented it. Uh, oh, no, it's actually uh, <laughs> punk rock and roll. <laughs> it's kind of, I, I've heard it. You have? Yeah. yeah. Fuck. You didn't. Yeah. I thought I invented it. You didn't invent a no phone week either. Okay. <laughs> <I know. laughs> so listen, Jeff, so so before he got really sick, I was hanging out with Jeffrey Lee Pierce a lot, and and he had this thing where he wanted Keith. Me, Johnny Depp, to invest money in an American record store in Vietnam. Did Mike, did he ever tell you about oh, this? Uh, you know, he told me a lot of things in those last few months. <laughs> <laughs> he was full was of ideas. Of was, like, was he I a was cocaine like, person? He wanted to do a Japanese rap record. He wanted to <laughs> rap in Japanese to, uh, yeah, and he, he wanted me to take the, him up. Probably would have made millions He wanted me to take him that. up to meet Suge Knight. 
Oh, oh yeah, get a deal. Get a record deal with get Death Row. Get a record Row. deal with Sugar Knight because I was on Interscope at the time. Well, he wanted to start this record store in Vietnam, and, and um, I kept saying, Jeffrey, are there Americans there that would buy American records? He goes, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. We, uh, you know, there's hundreds of thousands of of uh, Amerasians, right, so, that were left behind and from the Vietnam era. And I was like, do they have money to buy records? <laughs> like, he, he had all the craziest ideas. And then you would, like, be in L.A. with him, and he'd be living at his mom's in West Hollywood. Then I literally went halfway across the earth to England to go play shows, and at Soundcheck, there he is. He pops up. <laughs> and... and and it was just like, where? How did you get here? He was uh, one of plain. the. What Mike was he? One of the craziest characters you've ever met in your life. Yes, of course. And then, and then with the alcohol progression and his. Yeah, it was bad. Well, you see, you're focusing. Drank, on, you're focusing. See, that's why I don't like to be there in the end. You won't see me around at the end. No. Right. The I, end is the end. Right. You won't be there. You're like. I, I'm just. I kind of shy away from those kind of environments. Like, oh my god! I do. I there's. I don't go to funerals. I'm not like. I want to remember. You know the the people and and how rad they were and how amazing all the ideas they had. Well, and, that rem- and that, it, how brightly that, that they settles shone. that I won't go to your funeral. Don't you're go not to my gonna, funeral because you're not going to come to mine. Don't go to my funeral. You can't put you at each other's funerals. <laughs> <laughs> you only get one or the other. Well, I know. <laughs> if you don't so, come to my funeral, I'm not coming to yours. Yeah, that's it, man. <laughs> No, but, well, that'll show but you. Mike, Mike was a trooper with Jeffrey, but at a certain point, I had tried to talk to him. I, I said, you, you're going to die. This is ridiculous. And he would get his... It was so sad. So at a certain point when I kept hearing, it was you and somebody else were dealing with him the most, right, Mike? Me you, and Keith. And then the guy that did the... Keith uh, kind of gave up at the end. No, nah, me and Keith were in the hospital with him, and... He had this moment of clarity. He was like, yeah, let's do this. I think, you know, I want to get this transplant. I'll get sober, blah, blah, blah. And then in a flash of a second, that was gone. And he started talking about how he knew more than the doctors. They've always been telling him he's going to die. He's not going to die. And it was a weird thing. Yeah, but but I mean, so... I love the guy so, so much. So, see, I, I, what, the point I'm trying to make is every time I bring him up, you talk about the end. <laughs> I, I'm not interested no. in the end. The guy made one of the greatest records ever made. He was an I amazing can talk about the character. Beginning. It was an amazing character that was full of life and full of ideas and crazy ideas and just things out of nowhere like Vietnam record stores. I, I still and, like, listen, I changed, like that idea. He changed still. the way I played guitar completely. <laughs> All right, Mike, you don't need to cover up now. You just <laughs> talked about him dying of liver cancer. <laughs> what? You were the one that... Dude, you're the one that said it. You were at the you were at the end, weren't you, Mike? No, I no. You always bring up the end when well, when you talk course, about him. You know, the, I was there. But I wasn't I'm like you. It's, it, I wasn't like you. It I was poisons there at the end. you being there at the end. Do you, do you follow me, Chuck? I'm with you, sir. So okay. don't. I don't want nobody. There ain't gonna be an end to me. You'll. I. I'll be out Just here gonna in the hills. Go 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 I'll go. go disappear. No, I'm gonna put some headphones. I got the whole thing planned out. <laughs> if I get liver cancer wow, and, it, a... and it's the end, and I'm swelling up and need my stomach drained, and they're saying they won't give me a transplant or whatever. Listen, Walmart sells guns for two hundred thirty-seven dollars. You can just go there and get one. Plus tax, right? 
and you wait three days or whatever, go up here and just do Hunter S. Thompson it. What, the, what is the problem with all this? Well, why don't you just and, walk down the street and jump off the freeway bridge? It's cheaper. That makes it's a mess for other my, people. It's not on my terms. That could hurt somebody else That's also. like a narcissist suicide or something? Well, you know, it creates traffic jams. It creates a mess no, for other people No, what we're talking about, I mean, not to joke around, I just see no reason why people have to suffer for four to six months in agonizing pain because God hasn't called them home yet. Well, usually right? they're being kept alive by artificial means, yeah. which we don't even know if the God approves okay, of. So- oh, my, that's a great point. Did you hear what he just said, Mike? <laughs> I did. Or are you still going to no, pout about the no, Jeffrey Lee no, at the end? No. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great point they're, yeah. they're being kept Expa- alive expound on it chuck go ahead i just had the thought i can't really expound on something that just fell out of my head oh you right. haven't thought about that <laughs> you can't no. even remember it no what you said. no <laughs> no but what you just said is like you know they're usually not alive they're usually being kept alive by artificial means and you're you're saying that you know their god hadn't called them home yet but how do we know how do we know that they weren't you know, called the, home the six time. months before when they were resuscitated, and, and, and that you know we're just fighting and fighting, and fighting, and then we leave the world with claw marks on it because we weren't able to let it go. You know, I think, I don't even think the people that I've been there with, Gloria Scott, uh, Buddy Arnold, they didn't, they weren't holding on to life. They wanted to go. They weren't allowed to. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Like Gloria went in and out of the fucking hospital, and then they'd keep her alive just barely, and then the wouldn't get authorized to stay in the hospital, and they send her home, and then. And she died in transport from one of those things. Why couldn't she just be home and let's say right. goodbye? Well, I, I thought the hospice was such a a, a, a good idea. Um, you know, to be able to be at home where you want to be, getting care, and with the comfort kits, of course. Right. Because when you, you know, morphine's not going to keep you here that much longer. At least it's going to, you're going to be smiling on the way out and not be miserable and whining. Right. You know, but you, I, I like your idea. I mean, I think, you know, the idea of I should be allowed to end it when I choose to end it, especially if it's a medical necessity. I mean, if it. If you, but, but we're all, all of us that have bad livers, of which I have pretty bad one from what i hear um what what i saw in in jeffrey in in my uncle uh woody like it's the most agonizing thing your body swells up like that thing in ghostbusters like you're just you're so like much retaining puff, so, marshmallow yes man. you turn into that <laughs> and then you go in the hospital and they drain all the fluid out of you. yeah no it's just like well, you know come on so not to get so dark but i just choose to think like i don't even think of like jeffrey is dead i don't think of rob graves is dead i don't think of halal is dead i think of them i think of them in the conversations i had and the crazy things we did and the fun and the amazing people that they were i'm not one of those people likes to focus on the end that's all i'm saying yeah and and so especially when there's music when there's music or something to read or something to watch or or a memory that you can live i mean i don't i don't think about you know the I don't. I don't like to think about that either. I think about the vibrance. You, what you were talking about while they were burning their brightest. Yeah, and so one of the things that I think we don't share with our. I don't think we talk about to our children in America about death at all. No, it's a very. Nothing. It's a mystical thing to people when it's right. And I. I talk about it like I. You know, we got to cherish every day. This is important. This is the real deal. This is all there is. This is amazing. Right. And, mm-hmm. and so you can't, you don't just emphasize the amazingness of it. You say one day this is going to end. 
You know what I mean? One day, goodbye just, will be we just, farewell, we for sure. We just went through a big scare around here, right? And and it was scary for all the kids, and it was, it was scary for me and Chrissy and her family, because her dad was sick, right? Luckily, okay. he pulled out of it, but it was scary. I'm, just, I'm not going to get into too great a detail, but it was scary for a couple of days, right? And I had to talk with Elvis about it. He's like, you know, you have to talk to your children about life, not just fucking homework and bullshit. Right. And I think that's the the best advice I could give is I try to talk about life and I try to stay away from social American norms. Talk about death. You know, Elvis's Elvis's um pet died and we buried it out here. There's a little thing over there, right? We did a whole funeral and everything. That's what my parents did with me when my lizard died. Right? Lizards are good. Hamsters are good because they don't live yeah, long, have but you get to funeral, appreciate them. A and funeral, then... whatever. Nowadays, you know what parents do? They go get another one that looks exactly the same because they don't want <laughs> their kid to know fish. that it yeah. died. Yeah. I swear to God. I'm not surprised. So, so the thing that I think parents need to start being is more more direct more honest more sharing don't go by what psychologists say they don't know shit about anything <laughs> nothing i'm they sure really there's don't. a psychologist why they they even, that is on point somewhere why, why did they even go to school <laughs> well well no they because they're they're handcuffed by cya bullshit trust me psychologists can't tell you what they really think they're always worried about getting sued or saying the wrong thing and the kid's gonna kill himself are you fucking kidding me? We live in the most litigious society on earth. That's a, Everybody that's a is lot scared of to tell the truth. That's that's the truth of it. Yeah, there are yeah, it's 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 a rough it's it's only gotten worse. I've only watched the clamp down come down further and further. I mean, when when the word the word Nazis are on on patrol. You got to be so careful if if you're in a if you're a public figure in a public forum and you say the wrong thing, it could end whatever you've got going on, even if it was misconstrued. And that's just isn't that shitty? That's shitty. Because but, but you should even, be able to apologize if you're misunderstood. You should be able to explain yourself. But in the court of public opinion and being tried by media, it's at that that time. Well, is that's over. that's a public sector, but there's also the private sector in a rehab. You can't tell the truth. Sometimes, yes, you're uh, absolutely. You can't. The truth doesn't even factor in. Let's be honest. That's the diff- That's one of the big differences between treatment and recovery. Treatment's supposed to you're supposed to, you're supposed to get cleaned up and try to re- reconnect with some family and try to get your feet underneath you. And then recovery is where people tell you the truth out there in, the, then, in the meetings. But but there's so much treatment and so little recovery. At this this point. is the problem. Too much. Too many treatments. Too much. Had had a girl leave today who's uh, 22 who's done 40, 39 or 40 uh, treatment episodes. Oh, my God. 22 years old. And we, we did a we tried talking to her this morning. And, and you know, it's just like one of those things where I go, you know what, man, you've heard it all I'll give before. you an example. So Who puts co- them in that many times? The insurance industry. Insurance is our society. Let me tell you this. So uh, you, in the old days, prior, let's say when when – the shift happened. I would say 2006, 2007, you really started to see more rules and laws and more, more quoting of HIPAA and all these rules and laws. So I imagine 
in the beginning 2000s when a lot of lawsuits and a lot of hospitals and rehabs got sued and lost and, and, and their malpractice had to pay off. So then all these new rules roll out, right? And then the intensity of enforcing that. Start, I started noticing about 2007. But in the late 90s, early 2000s, if a client wanted to leave, I'd say, get the fuck out of here. Right. Get the fuck out of here. But Mike asked a you good know, question. You can't say that. Because if the person leaves and they die, they're going to sue you and ruin your life because you told the right. truth. Get the fuck out of here. And, and Mike, that's why... Can, why is she allowed to do that? Because the insurance, if the insurance denies their coverage... When that 22-year-old leaves, because they're on their parents' insurance, they leave, they go get loaded, they die, then the parents sue the insurance company that didn't allow their child treatment, even though the two are not directly connected. It's not like they weren't allowed treatment, so they overdosed yeah, and, and died. This is, it, this is getting back to the claim I had, if you go back 20 podcasts ago, when is an adult an adult? When is somebody responsible for their own fucking decisions? I think when? I, I want to make 52, since I'm 51 <laughs> now. 52 is a good time, since we're living longer. So do you see how complicated this parenting thing is? Yeah. When people just send me an email, like I got, like, I went through my emails. Like, I got a lot of emails, right? And so it takes, like, sitting there for an hour going through to see that it's somebody, you know, and I read them and whatever. And there was, for some reason, out of about 30, 40 emails I got last night, four or five of them were related to what to do about their adult children. And, and, and then a couple were related to, I have teenagers, what do I do? So it was, a, you know, like, you know, 25% of the emails I got in the last few days were about this subject of what to do about your children. And I, mm. I, I'm telling you, it's complicated. Our society is sick. Our medical, our, our healthcare system is sick. Our, uh, so, so within working within that, our school system, our education system is sick. The whole thing is sick. So, so it's complicated. But what I try to say is, like, listen, if you're buddy-buddy with your kid, then tell them the whole truth, not just the happy truth. Tell them the whole truth, what your fears are, what, what, where, the, where the fucking the bullshit ends with you, right? Right. Right? You're, I, I, I hate to say it, but at 19, I told my son, you are never, ever sleeping under my roof. Ever again, ever, no matter how good you do. And think about it. If you're doing well, you won't have to, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> you're never. And, and well, what had he done at that point where you told him that? I mean, am I going to get Just into like it? A whole really? bunch of, a whole bunch you know, of time he'll be, after time be, after time, be, he finally said that? I don't want to talk about another adult. I don't know why I need to. There needs okay. to be a boundary. Yeah, right. because at that point he's 19. That's how old my oldest was when I told him he needed to go. My second one was 19 when I told him we're done because there's like this little bit of lapse where 18 isn't really... Well, I also felt like from 15 <clears throat> to 19 there was this back and forth, back and forth. And so he didn't have the motivation to succeed or compromise mm -hmm. in life with roommates, with girlfriends, however, whatever, until he had no refuge. Do you understand? Right. This is the thing that parents of, of adult kids don't understand. Oh, well, he's just going to stay a couple of weeks. I mean, I have parents whose kids are still 
only going to stay a couple weeks that are 35 right now. (laughs) He's only staying here until he finishes his drunk driving school. Like, really? My folks were (laughs) were so ahead of the curve on that one. I think I was 18, 18 maybe, and I had gone back because we had this back and forth relationship from my early teens to punk rock and colored hair didn't work well at my house. Uh, But... They told me, you know, you can stay here, but you're going to sleep in the trailer in the backyard, and you can only come in the house like when we're here. Right. And that's fair. Oh, it, it was it was a good deal for me. Were man. you pissed or you like that? Oh a good no, man, deal. I was stoked. That's a good deal. I don't like sleeping. Can I get outdoors. that deal? Are they still around? <laughs> yeah. Can I do that? They don't have. <laughs> then then it was a motorhome. I mean, it's like so. I God, I had I, I had how this fucking thing. Great is that? But I mean, I knew that if if I was living a certain way stuff wasn't going to happen and my dad was old school in that he didn't have a hard time telling me get the fuck out well here's and this is why i'm talking about this old school parenting and old school meaning commonsensical and more uh and teaching autonomy to your adult or teenage children Mm -hmm. that's considered old school what we're doing the new way is teaching helplessness hope and and an inability to cope with reality that's what this new parenting did Mm -hmm. but supposedly that's the right way to do things right and always seek help and everybody's always a victim and always more therapy and more treatment and more more honesty and more this and more that and finally you know you gotta you gotta say you know what we've been doing this for 10 years and it's not working well you know but you're we've talked about this where it's 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 counterintuitive what's helpful to someone who's who's using or living unsuccessfully it's counterintuitive to do as a parent because i mean it was in me to or i'm not gonna do what my my parents did well how i'm gonna do it different i know but but what was coincided with us as you know i didn't really come to AA until i was like 23 but but since there was a no go back to your parents, the twelve step community could be more honest with you, right? But as where long were you going to go? Right now, a twenty three year old drug addict that's been in forty rehabs has got a lot of angles. They can go to another rehab. Mm-hmm. They can go to their parents' house. They can go. They can threaten to kill themselves and go to a psych ward, and then everybody's scared. Nobody wants to do. They'll give her whatever she wants. I see it constantly where the family is being held hostage not only by the addict adult child in their lives but society's perception of how you're supposed to deal with that right and if you're a good person and if you're a bad person you just so call somebody else that's not my problem you're a grown adult you say that to your your kid nowadays that's gone to 20 rehabs, they'll tell the counselor at the next rehab. Then all of a sudden, they'll reach out to you. You know, we wanted to talk about your anger in relation to your daughter's <laughs> illness, yeah. right? It's all right. bullshit. This is, I'm giving you examples. It's all bullshit. Cut through the bullshit and just trust your heart. Trust you, the way that you were raised. <laughs> trust against, in, a, in such a sick society, I just try to do this. What's the social norm? I'll do the exact opposite. Right? You can't, <laughs> it's almost that you easy, can't, huh? You can't go wrong, really. <laughs> that's, what, that's what they tell you in AA, too, is the contrary action. Contrary action. Contrary, contrary action to with- what psychologists say. <laughs> You know what I mean? I, like, I'm telling you, I, I, I just got tired of trying to intervene 
with the therapeutic community like what makes you think that's the right thing to do why are you how many times have you been there where you go where the kid goes my dad's abusive my mom ignores me my mom does this my mom does that talk to them and and then they get on the phone and they go hey i need some fucking cigarettes (laughs) before they even say hello and mom's going okay we'll send them to you what's the address what's the address here and it's just are you are, wait a second uh, so i know because i've so, met i've so met the, the counselors when they've heard my kids stories and they've only heard the one side first of all and they've only heard it from the person that was loaded when the thing happened because i was sober well but the the point being that if uh, and i've told private clients this dude if you're my kid i wouldn't fucking never talk to you people you're hurting feelings when you say that Bob. some of them have cried when i've said that as I keep crying, motherfucker. At the bottom of those tears is reality. I, I can be very direct. I don't call it harsh. I'm just very direct. Gloria Scott was very direct. <laughs> you know, I've been releasing those Gloria-isms. Mm-hmm. Like, she was like, if you find that child, that little child within or whatever, when they had the teddy bear shit in AA, like, uh, I, uh, it was Bradshaw's the Ch- Healing the Child Within was a book that was very popular in the rehabs and in the AA, right? Yeah. And she said, if you ever find that little child within, you need to fucking tell it to grow the fuck up. You're 35 <laughs> years old, right? And these, you know, it won't work for everybody, obviously, but what people are doing is not working at all. I'm watching it not work, right? When you become so discouraged that... that M-A-T seems like, you know, like that's a viable way. And that sad fucking state that we've allowed this industry to get into. I want to change it, but I don't want to be the only one trying to change it. And I've tried to find allies in Orange County and San Francisco and Las Vegas. Everybody's like, yeah, 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 Bob, we want to change it. But for now, let's just keep going with what's going on, right? And so at a certain point... Let, so let's talk about the Suboxone and what do you do when your kid ends up on Suboxone after treatment? They're going to put him on medical-assisted treatment. That's what you're talking about, right? Right, yeah. Suboxone. Well, I've been thinking about weed myself. Oh. <laughs> well, that's new. Uh, no, hey. CBD. So CBD as a detox Suboxone? drug, right? There's... There, we. What do you do with Suboxone? Yeah, the Suboxone I mean, do, company makes uh, $150 billion. Okay, so you used to the have way to it go, looks right now. So you used to have to go to a methadone clinic to pick up the methadone every morning. Do you do that with Suboxone? There, no, you get it from a doctor but and you take it home? No, you don't get to take it home, not in the Medi-Cal system. So eventually, every addict in California will be on Suboxone by within three years, I think. I just met with so the everybody with will the be loaded. Okay. There's pilot programs here in Southern California, Matrix and Tarzana, right? Where it's just going to all be MAT, right? Okay. Listen, listen to this. This is how the state is doing it. Watch your television. There's an MAT commercial from the state of California. It looks like Obamacare ad. It's telling you MAT is coming, right? It's going to replace absence-based treatment in, for Medi-Cal. There's going to be no absence-based treatment for Medi-Cal. They, the, the second wave of it is going to be, if you don't provide MAT treatment, you are not gonna, you cannot, you're not entitled to Medi-Cal dollars. That's coming. Uh, that doesn't surprise me. I've heard this from the clients. I've heard the rumbling that, you know, I had to go get Medi-Cal because I couldn't pay for my Suboxone. Right. So the problem is, 
in the Medi-Cal system, they went for the, the cheapest, right? So it's only oral medication. How, and how are they going to dispense it? They're not going to give it so it can be sold or corrupted. And Mike gets to the very point. You're just creating a more expensive version of the methadone. Another, a new methadone, yeah. More expensive, way more expensive, <clears throat> because it's a very expensive drug. Methadone is cheap, right? It's generic. But Suboxone is never going to be generic because it's the solution to the opioid crisis. There's a lot of shit going on Maybe that you're not going to see for like two or three years. Subclinics. That Well, here's the thing. Do they have methadone still? Yes. Yes, they do. Well, it, okay. it's in full force, but but you know it's it's got a stigma to it, and the, and the pharmaceutical industry has done such a great job of brainwashing government about Suboxone that it's going to be the solution to mm. this. So so follow my logic though. Okay, I think there's a way to get people on in a medicated medication assisted treatment environment, right? Get them on Suboxone, get them stable, get them back in school, back in a job, and then as you're titrating them, you switch them to medical marijuana. I think that might work. No one's ever done it before. I think it's very difficult for addicts transitioning into sobriety in that first couple of years right now because our society is so sick. Our society is way sicker than it was 23 years ago when I got sober. Way sicker. Mm-hmm. Would you agree with that? Oh, I, I totally agree with it. Yeah. So, spicing it up with a little medical marijuana can't hurt. <laughs> no, <laughs> like if you're if you're if you're kind of trying to find some solution to not go back to opiates, right? Right. But you see, this is like it, it, the the only problem I have with Suboxone is that like I have this test where the guy. Tested for benzos, THC, opiates, oxy, MDMA, PCP, amphetamine, suboxone, and kratom. God, the guy is like, so. I mean, a lot so, of those, but a lot of those drugs you don't know. Do you, do you quantify it? Because a lot of those drugs you don't know how long they it's been since they used them. You know, but it, could be ten days for the THC. Could be ten days for the kratom. Right? No, I don't. I don't think kratom stays that long. Um, that's one of those that you have to do a separate test for. It's not even standardized on on dipsticks and stuff. Yeah, I'm just. Was there uh, meth in there? Yeah, mm. meth. That's what MDMA is. Yeah, there was meth in there. The guy just—he sounds like N-A-M-P. a fun guy. <laughs> oh yeah, a fun but, guy I mean, that couldn't afford cocaine. Every everything about the cocaine, but I mean, so I I do like the so you'd have to look at the person, the amount they were using, and what what do you think? Let what me do assess you think that about case. The, what Let you, me assess that case. What do you think? That's about a kid who had been in rehab a month before, two months before. He was using anything and everything he could get his hands on because he knew he was going back to rehab. I've seen it a thousand times. That's not somebody first-time treatment. Trust (laughs) me. That's not. No, that's a guy with an intention of, I'm going on a run, and then I'm going back. Was he with you before? No, not with us. Okay, he was with another treatment center before, not too long ago. Well, aren't they all? No, you can get clean, normal, first-time treatment. We've been been getting more... Local people because right. of because of new regulations and stuff that don't allow the the and and having to charge rent for the people that are IOP and PHP right. and OP you can't just put them up in your place anymore no. you've got to charge them like five hundred bucks month, right but how many people want to pay that they're going to go elsewhere 
because there's not no gonna, place for them to go. They all have to. Go. I almost guarantee. Well, in Orange County, there's some places. Not everybody's going to go with that. Not only that, but I had four clients leave together on Fourth of July. Actually, my boss went in and goes, "Listen, this is what you guys are doing. You got to go now because they had somebody in Florida that was willing to fly them out and pay them fifteen hundred dollars a piece to come to their place." in florida so that it's still happening and four people who were well two of them were moving forward with treatment the other two brought the other two with them obviously they're you know what i always equated to the first time i heard about <clears throat> mike are you following so the first time i heard oh, yeah. about patient brokering it really didn't exist in los angeles it really was invented in florida then it was copied in orange county it's so mm -hmm. strange it was just 35 miles away but this practice of bribing addicts to leave one rehab and go to the other it didn't exist in los angeles i swear to you until the last five years now is but there it, is there organized crime that probably did this at the beginning or was this just no, normal this is people just, this is just junkies like, this is just, just junkies finding a hustle they found so, a way to make some money so really so good listen money listen to listen to the thing that so i equated it to because i was trying to understand it and i didn't i didn't really fully comprehend it so I equated it to, okay, so um, the Guns N' Roses guys go to a Chili Peppers concert to people that had paid to get into the Chili Pepper <laughs> concert and say, hey, we'll give you money to come to our concert. <laughs> <laughs> not, not only, but we like give you money. We'll, like, we'll give you so much money that you can... No, or we'll give you better tickets. You're sitting way up here. You, you come with us and we'll give you front row tickets for the same price. Like, it's just the craziest, most disgusting, immoral, unethical, scumbag thing on earth that wouldn't even exist in rock and roll. Guns N' Roses guys might come to the Chili Pepper show, but they're not going to try to get the audience like them. You know what I mean? There's like a right. respect. Like that's your client. Well, like not, respect. Yeah, it's it's so it's so gross. It is just beyond. And, it's and, beyond. And the the saddest thing is that it's deadly with some of these people that are caught up in it. It's the only hustle they've got, Mike. So it's like you you tell I come to you and I go, hey man, fifteen hundred bucks. You come with me. We'll get loaded. This guy was going to get him a hotel room for the so night, they could get so they could get loaded. <clears throat> put him on a plane. Take him to Florida. Put him up. Give him cash. And then they'll find the next guy. They'll stay there for however many days they're supposed to stay there. And then th they'll find the next person to give them another $1,000, $1,500, and they'll go to the next place. So not only are they are on tour, they and they're, they're going from place to place, but some of them die along the way. Because if they're real addicts, they're not going to be able to get high just that once. And that one day in the hotel room is going to turn into another adventure that puts them on the right, road. Right, but 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 so, I've recalibrated any... my thing about them dying. Right, is it? Bob? So hold on, though. Okay. I don't believe it's the Santa Ana uh, MS gang member dealing the drugs that is responsible for the drug addict who goes and buys it and dies of it. It you, you no. have to you know what I mean? They're not babies. They're just you know what I mean. I don't know that the patient brokers are responsible for the death. The addict themselves are responsible for the death. Oh, right. Well, it always because, comes back to because, the person that does the drugs. It's theirs because if I'm putting it but, in my well, arm, but, I'm but taking responsibility. But I equate it to the the drug dealers because you and I both have talked about drug dealers. Mm -hmm. They're just it's just like Walmart. It's just like supply and demand. Yeah, but Do if you, you want put, a drug dealer, if, to if be, you put fentanyl in my cocaine, yeah, that that they should find those people, <laughs> right? <laughs> 
But I'm talking about, you know, little no, Chiba. It, it, <laughs> and that's what they want, though. That's like the fun. That's the ultimate. Remember, Not I told cocaine. you that sounds no. like that sounds like an amazing high. They are fentanyl looking for the, the they cocaine. Are, they are looking for the fentanyl. They are looking for the fentanyl. So I they mean, want that's the fentanyl it. and everything. You know, you're man. looking for so the bug somebody, powder. So if somebody's looking for the fentanyl. And you, they've, and four treatment centers have told them the deadly aspect of fentanyl and the and the lack of control. Or they've lost right? people, or, or they've, they've yeah. or they've had and an they overdose. And they die of it. Isn't that on them? Yeah, and there, I know people that are that cold-hearted about it that are in recovery that go, they knew, right? They knew, and as an adult, well, I'm they not made saying a decision. I don't have empathy or compassion towards them, but I don't want, I don't want um, revenge. You understand? The, like with the patient brokers, I just think it's sleazy. I don't have to go to a better argument of why it's so terrible. No, we it's don't have to. We don't have to is try. Bad enough. Yeah. <laughs> and what I'm waiting for is what is the twelve-step community? When are they going to step up? Right, because what would really happen would be the twelve-step community would bring it back to the basics, rent a house, get a bunch of guys together, and like. Sit on people and bring like them to me. Outlaw sober living. Outlaw sober living. I like that idea. R right. So yeah, buy a fucking yacht and go on a, on an ocean trip. There you go no. with your yacht. There you go. That's like a Scott Weiland version. <laughs> you're not of gonna it. fucking. You're not gonna get dope out <laughs> in the middle of the ocean. No, I'm talking about no. If you're providing free housing and free food to somebody and you expect nothing and you don't want medical and you don't give a fuck, you just want to help people and you'll pull some resources, right? There's a great rehab that's still uh, sober living in Hollywood that still exists to this day. It's been there for 21 years called Living in Recovery right? The Mariposa house, Mike, you've put people in there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Brian, Brian runs it or owns it I thought that was now. a girl house. So Living in Recovery was started by three retired Pacific Bell AA guys. They said, you know what? Let's buy a big old house and we'll each pitch in, I think they each pitched in eight grand. So $24,000, they bought this 10-bedroom house on Mariposa in East Hollywood. They fixed it up, they furnished it, and they had it be a sober house for guys to turn their lives around, right? At, when it opened, they charged $275 a month if you could afford it. They okay. would scholarship you first month, right? It helped thousands of people. My friend Brett got sober there, but lots of people got sober there. There was three guys, right? Finally, it just became such a headache as the 90s wore into the 2000s. They just said, you know, it's not the same anymore. I remember that. I loved those old guys. Well, right? I bet they, they got hit with all sorts of regulatory things that they had to do or not. They do also or... didn't know much about drugs and more and more addicts. Mm. Like, so I was kind of telling them, that, yeah, I don't think that person's sober. You got to drug test people. And he's like, <laughs> oh, geez, how much does that cost? One of them said, how much does that cost? <laughs> right. Right? They right. were just doing... And they and their whole intention was, we're going to be around a place and help you know people get sober, help guys get sober, and in the end we'll have this little nest egg of owning this big house, right? And then we'll sell it. Or I mean, their intention was they were all in their mid sixties, right? This is in like ninety nine, right? AA, AA people need to start thinking like that again. 
instead of just judging and doing their belly button conversations, you need to start thinking about, hey, how could we belly button change? conversation? Yeah, they're talking about how they're feeling. It's like you a, know, but a, a oh belly that, that's so <laughs> talking cool. about your own belly button oh because my God. you uh, that that kind of comes full circle because to be able to talk to people, at least to give honest feedback to people, honest. but when you when you raise kids who you're honest with, they're able to take that and not be injured by it or not right. be victimized by it because they've heard it before. They know that, the, you know what, if you don't finish that, you don't get dessert. Well, you can have dessert because you really tried to finish that. Well, then that kid comes into my place and they're insufferable. But the kids that knew that if you do this, then this, and the parents followed through, you can tell. Right. You can tell whose who's parents stuck to their guns and raised their kids to understand. Well, but I mean, those are the little kind of 50s ideas. One of the things, I think it's crucial to not shield children from the world. Do you think eight-year-old, like Elvis is going to turn nine in a couple of weeks. Do you think eight-year-olds or nine-year-olds in any other country in the world are shielded as much from reality, the reality of existence as Elvis is? No. They know what reality is. You know, Elvis is just blown away that he found out that one of his friends doesn't have their own bedroom. He was crying about it. Oh, that's sad. That he lives in this, <laughs> yeah. but that he lives in this oblivious to reality way. So how do you do that? Well, I didn't just ignore it or say, you know, we're just, uh, I talked about it. Like Elvis, the, the world is pretty harsh. You don't get to see a lot of it because you don't live in it. But trust me, there's way worse than that situation. Mm-hmm. All right. right. Stop sheltering your kids. Well, okay. Well, is that Mike's going to promise to stop sheltering <laughs> his daughters? <laughs> well, I don't anyways, really. You do, know, they you... Know, do they know what death is? Yes. Yes. As a matter of fact, Devin's father just passed away. Oh, you're kidding. I didn't no, know that. Yeah. So we've oh, been dealing yeah. with that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of reality going on at your house. Oh, there is. Why yeah. didn't you talk about that? We're talking about children and how to introduce reality. Is it too much? Uh, no, it's sad because, you know. Where did you tell him guy. that he was a great guy? I met him one time, two times. Where did, where did, where did you tell him that he went? He died. I know. Where does where did, where does went, that mean? He he's dead. We're gonna put him in. You know, we're gonna cremate him, and he's gone. There's no religion. There's no nothing. Nothing. I, we don't do any of that. Okay. So there's no heaven. It's done. See, that's what Mike is the example that we were talking about. God, I can't it, believe Mike, it. I can't you know? believe it. <laughs> That's what we're saying parents need to do, Mike. Well, all right. That's what I do. I don't, you know what I mean? I tell my daughter I'm a dope addict. I was a dope addict, you know? She knows. They all know. Mike Mart, parent of the year. He could start a revolution. The Mike Mart method. The Mike Mart method. That's three M's. I really like that. But we're going to. Why, you know, why lie to him? Because society lies to everybody about Are you everything. Suppo- I mean, is this something I'm supposed to know? I didn't know. I thought you're just supposed to fucking tell him. <laughs> Wait, no, you're supposed to tell him. I he went you're up. Supposed to fucking be honest. You're supposed with to tell him they're in heaven. He, he or went. That he he, he just went up in the attic. Montana. Yeah, no, he, he died, <laughs> man. He's living he's on a big he farm. Old. He got where, old. He, and yeah, we're gonna go up out. there someday. Not this summer. We let him go live on this big farm where he can run around, and there's lots of other grandpas for him to play with. Well, you know, Devin's sister died 
So we did say that Grandpa's going to visit Aunt. We going to visit uh, Aunt B, which is Brooke. Okay. So that's about, that's as far as we got. You know, they know they don't think there's another place that everybody goes to or anything like that. They just know it's a sort of a metaphor to make us all feel comfortable. Wow. You know, Mike Mart, you could start a religion. No, you could. The Mike That's Mart that, that defies everything. I thought you everybody just said. did. That. <laughs> I know. How, how you're living is how we're saying people should live and raise their children, Mike. You realize that? Well, you know, I don't know that it's special. I think that a lot it's of people very, do. very abnormal to tell your eight and twelve and thirteen year old kids that at, when somebody dies, nothing happens and they're just gone. Here's the thing that somebody said the other day. Common sense is not very common anymore. Yeah. What you just said is common sense. That's how my dad talked about it. My grandma died, and my dad told me of when his uncle died, right? That And just the nuts and bolts of it. He goes, yeah, at least nowadays, you know, they go away. When my uncle died, they just put him on the dining room table, and it sat there for like three days. <laughs> yeah. How crazy is that? Yeah, there used to be Russian dead bodies wake, in the house. Oh, oh yeah. my God, that's so fucking radical. That's why all the flowers is because the bodies to would cover smell up bad. This, yeah. Well, I think they gut them, though, don't they, before they um, come Gut them like a fish. Hang them by the feet. <laughs> well, yeah, you harvest I the, think there was a primal. <laughs> you make a soup out of the. A, no, there was oh, like a basic fuck. way of, of, what's it called? Embalming you embalm, them, but you, you hit them. But you, not like they do now, all sanitized. Like right now, somebody dies, everybody leaves the room, right? Some The coroner comes, zips them up in a bag, takes them away, you never see them again. Right, and then you can tell your children, "Well, where they, where'd Grandma go? Oh, well, she's she went to Miami. Living on a farm. She went to Miami <laughs> with a bunch of other grandmothers. <laughs> yeah. They're running around and playing right. with frisbees. Just tell your kids the fucking truth. Yeah." Hey, this is Bob, and you can get a hold of Aloe Treatment Centers at 888-595-0235. That's Aloe Treatment Centers in Malibu and Silver Lake, 888-595-0235. Tell them Bob told you to call.